0: Your Daily Scholarship is brought to you by Mentoro, a personalized financial
1: coaching program designed with you in mind. Learn more at MyMentoro.com.
0: This is Dave, the Scholarship Coach, with your Daily Scholarship for Saturday, March 3rd, and today I am joined by Peter McCandless. Peter is a Faculty in Residence Associate Professor in Mathematics at UNLV. Peter, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Dave. How are you today? I am fantastic and so excited to be speaking with you tonight. Um, So I learned about you, um, oh, it's probably been, what, a year or two ago now, I think when we first um, got together through a a mutual acquaintance, and um, you were kind enough to reach back out to me and um, express an interest in coming on the show, so I appreciate, appreciate that. Um, so I, you know, I gave your title, but can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background and your history in, in math as a professor, and um, we'll, we'll also get into your, your website which is very cleverly named calculus sucks.com.
1: Sure. Well, thank you for having me Dave. Um, yeah, so faculty and resonance is just a uh, category they created at UNLV because they need a lot of professors to teach. And some are tenure track and they do research. So, you know, students going to college need to understand that professors are in the tenure track position, are required to do research to get promoted from assistant professor to associate and finally to full. And um, we can talk more about that if that seems germane to the the conversation. But I'm not required to do that. So I have a PhD in curriculum and instruction. I have a master's in math. I have a second master's in Ed Psych. Uh, I've been teaching math for a long time, taught math math methods classes. That means courses that teachers have to take to teach at the secondary level or the elementary level. so that's, and I've been here at UNLV now for, well, I'm finishing my 10th year now. At the end of this semester, it'll be 10 years.
0: Fantastic. Well, yeah, let's, before we go into um, the, the topic of math, let's talk a little bit about that um, question about the role of professors in college, because I, I think many high school students probably are not aware that um, many of the professors they're going to be um, studying under, their primary job is not to teach. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about that and maybe what the implications are for for students going into college?
1: Yeah, I I think the implications uh, are are profound because people may assume coming out of high school uh, that they, excuse me, coming out of high school that, well, their teachers are there, they teach all day. The professors in college would do the same thing. It seems to make sense. But at large institutions and certainly at the prestigious institutions in this country, professors, whether in math or any field, uh, if they're tenure track, they have to do research to become tenure. Now tenure is a process that takes about six or seven years. Once you successfully pass that, then you have more or less a permanent job unless you do something really egregious. The rest of us, like myself, Um, are just hired year by year, as long as I do a good job, I think they'll keep hiring me back, but I don't have any permanency. But in terms of the students, yeah, when they come in, if if the person teaching your class is gonna move ahead by doing research and that's pretty time consuming, then he or she may not put as much time into teaching as they might otherwise do, because that's not how they're gonna get promoted. If you do a decent job teaching, as expressed by student evaluations or maybe other professors above you visiting your class saying, yeah, Peter does okay, Peter does this well, Peter could improve here. That's fine, but um, you're not going to get the incentive for the professor is not to do a bang-up job teaching if he or she has to publish so many books or articles every year to move ahead. And particularly, as I said, if you go to a prestigious institution, students are Probably not aware, at least until they get there, that that's the incentive structure for the professors. Um, you know, it, it'd be like if you went to your, your medical doctor and he didn't get, he didn't keep patients by doing a good job of treating them, but he did research. You'd say, well, wait a minute. I, I, I think it's great that he's keeping up on the latest in his field and that's necessary, but I want somebody that's going to attend to me and not put first and foremost his scholarly endeavor.
0: Yeah, that's a great analogy. As you were speaking about it, it came to my mind of, um, at least in theory, high school teachers are incentivized to be good teachers and to see that their students learn the material. And that's, it sounds like for um, tenure professors, that's really maybe a secondary um, of consideration for them.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, particularly. Yeah, i And My first job was at the University of North Florida way back in 1990, and I was an assistant professor of education. I taught math methods classes, and after the first year, Dave, they came to me and said, well, you're doing a real good job teaching. Now, if you want to get tenure in five or six years, whatever the period is, you need to publish some 13 articles, and nine of them have to be in referee journals. I'm sure the load would be even greater today. But mm-hmm. here's what's significant to me, Dave. I went and I asked the chair of my department. I said, would you put that in writing? He said, oh, no, we don't do that. This is just a ballpark. And I thought, OK, so now I'm shooting at a moving target. Right. If I do the required publishing, but they want 14 and I've done 13, then I'm in danger of not, you know, being tenured. And, and for students that don't understand this, do the tenure process is is up and out. So when you go through this process, it's kind of a probationary period, if you're a tenure track professor, when you come up for tenure and you're reviewed, you either get it or you don't. And if you don't get that tenure, you're gone. You'll have one more year teaching and then you're gone. And they're going to replace you with somebody that they think is going to do a better job doing research. And you could have done a bang up job teaching, but if you don't have the required scholarly publications done and then the, you know, you know, Obviously, peer-reviewed journals, but journals of a high enough stature, whether they're local or state or national or international. If you don't cut it, your job is over.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, it's definitely a different model that uh, you know students going from high school to college should be aware of and um, really do some some preparation for. It's one I think just one reason that taking some college-level courses in high school. Uh, maybe through like dual enrollment could be very helpful for a student to make that transition, um, because most professors, especially like you said at the the big universities, um, are not going to be spending a lot of time helping you. You might be lucky to get right. uh, a grad student, um, a teaching assistant, but um, if if you're not getting the material, you're gonna you're gonna have to find another way besides working with your professor, right. most likely.
1: Right, and some of them have good, like at UNLV, we have a math clinic, and it's staff from, I think, 10 to 4 every day, and students can walk in and get help. Of course, they can come to me in office hours or make an appointment and get help. But but we do have, I think there is more help on campuses nowadays, at least for the lower levels. Now, Mm -hmm. if you get beyond a certain level in math, then only the professor is probably going to be able to help you. They're not going to have free tutors that can help you. But for calculus and below, um, there, there's quite a bit of help for students, which unfortunately a lot of them I think don't take advantage of because tutoring is very expensive and mm-hmm. this is free. It, this is a free service. And so I think a lot of colleges nowadays have have some kind of help, uh, tutoring help on campus that um, maybe they didn't have so frequently 20, 30, 40 years ago.
0: Yeah, yep. Well, that's a good segue. You brought up um, math, and especially at the higher level, the potential difficulties. One of the things I was very intrigued with on your website is um, you list six reasons that a student may be struggling with math. Can we talk about what those are and what a student can do about those those six reasons?
1: Sure. And these are just my ideas. There are probably others as well, but. Um... In my experience, these are six that kind of come to the surface. So, the first one is the course goes too fast. A lot of times, students find themselves in a math class, and at the college level, unlike high school, we don't give a lot of time to do work problems in the class. We just lecture, and students are busy, you know, writing everything down. It's hard to write things down and comprehend it at the same time. Um, In my particular teaching now, I use an iPad, so I write everything on the iPad and then I upload the notes later to the the class, to the website for the class so the students can see them. And I tell them in class, you don't have to take verbatim notes because I've got all this written down and you'll see them later. But, you know, not everybody does that and it goes pretty fast and it can be intimidating when you get lost and suddenly you're 20 minutes, 30 minutes in the class and you're lost everything that comes after that is not going to make sense to you in math math mm-hmm. as much as any subject builds hierarchically you know if you can't do arithmetic you can't do algebra if you can't do algebra you can't do calculus so those kind of deficits that people encounter or have you know make it difficult especially when it goes goes really fast another one is that uh, sometimes the professors just don't explain well if they're not incentivized to be good teachers I've often said that math is probably the easiest subject in the world to teach poorly because once (laughs) you know it, you can just go in and write on the board and talk and it makes sense to you and students are writing things down and you may think they understand it until you give a quiz or a test and then you find out that they don't. Um, A third reason is that the textbooks is particularly in math, a textbook is usually very difficult to understand. I don't know why they don't write textbooks more for the particular audience. Um, I'm sure that authors say they do, but um, when you look at the textbook and the explanations, almost every professor of math I know looks at a textbook and then he tries to explain it better than the text, which, which is good, but it would be nice if the textbooks were more readable and they're, they're typically not. A fourth reason I would say, Dave, would be that the tests and the quizzes sometimes don't reflect what people learn in class, that students will say that, you know, as a professor, I go over a lot of material, and I say, okay, any of this stuff could be on the quiz, and then they get to a quiz, well, if they didn't do that, they didn't realize something was on it, there's there's a disconnect between, between what the professor expects and what the students think is expected of them sometimes, mm-hmm. and that that gap there can lead to them encountering tests and quizzes. They get on it. Oh, I think I knew the material. I studied for several hours. I did all the homework and I got it. I drew a blank when it came to the test. It depends on how difficult the test is. Um, then I think students also. Um, are intimidated at times to ask questions. So particularly if they're in the class and things are not going well, it seems over their head, they think that a question they might ask is, is too dumb. And so they don't want to ask it. Nobody wants to, you know, appear to be dumb. Um, but I constantly encourage students to ask questions. And then a, a sixth reason, I went kind of out of order here, but it did not matter, would be that the, the homework problems are, are too difficult. Sometimes a professor will do a very basic one or something on the board and then give more challenging problems. And that's not necessarily bad to help the students' understanding. But sometimes they'll sit down and they'll say, well, this isn't like what he or she did in class. I don't know how to do this. Because it's slightly different than what they did in class. The professor is trying to stretch them, if you will, a little bit beyond just what the routine problems are. Um, but all of those, I think those six reasons, are probably others, but those are the main six in my mind that make it difficult for students in a math, in a college level math class.
0: Yeah, I think any student who's ever struggled with math can resonate with at least one and maybe, maybe all of those. What would you recommend a, a student who is struggling when, with math and p- maybe particularly because of one or multiple of those reasons? What should they do? How to, can they get back on track?
1: Well, it's going to depend on, in part, also on their preparation. If they're not prepared well for the class, then there's very little they could probably do. If they didn't have a good background in in algebra, as I said, they're going to struggle with calculus. If they don't know how to do arithmetic, they're going to struggle with algebra. So the first thing to do is sort of diagnose where they are. Mm -hmm. And that's not done very often either, but it would be helpful at the beginning of a class if we said to the students, okay, I expect you to be able to do all of these kinds of problems. If you're not up to speed, then maybe you're not ready for the class. But assuming they have a reasonable amount of preparation, then they're going to have to be proactive, Dave. That is, they're going to have to go to the professor. Most professors, even at the prestigious institutions, and and ones where the, the incentive is on doing research, They're gonna be open to talking to students. They wanna help students, they want students to succeed. So if the student would be proactive and go to the professor during his or her office hours, I've been working on this problem, I'm struggling, I tried it, can you give me some help? Most of them will bend over backwards to help. Okay, and then as I mentioned earlier when we were talking offline, excuse me, um, most, most colleges now, particularly large state universities like where I am, have some kind of math tutoring clinic. Students don't take advantage of it. Uh, They don't take advantage of it. And they don't, uh, they need to ask questions in class. I'm constantly telling students, is this clear? Does anybody have a question? What about this? Very few students chime in and say anything about that. They're, They're used to their role of sitting in the class and being relatively passive except for taking notes. And they're gonna have to engage more. And that means say, I tried to follow this example. I don't know why you did this instead of that at this particular juncture. Then a professor can help them. But sometimes the students will come, will come up to you at the end of a class and say I'm I'm lost. I don't understand anything you said or did. Okay, well that's yeah. that's difficult for the professor to deal with. It's unfortunate, but that's difficult. That's to use my analogy or uh, in the medical field, Dave, that's like going to your doctor and saying I don't feel good. <laughs> well, yeah. Where don't you feel good? What's bothering you? If you can't say anything other than I don't feel good, what are they going to do? Run a thousand tests on you and find out what's wrong? Maybe. But if you can pinpoint your your health concern, your pain a little more precisely, that's going to help the medical doctor. And if somebody can pinpoint what they don't understand more precisely for me or their professor, that's going to help us communicate to them what they need.
0: It sounds like for the common thread there is um, for the student to take the initiative and to be proactive, whether it's taking the yeah. initiative to ask questions in class, taking the initiative to go seek out that help from the resource centers or from the professor, right. that very unlike most high school situations where the teacher is going to say, I see you're struggling because they see the results of a quiz or a test. Right. The professor may or may not say that, that it's really up to you as the student to really self-assess where you're at, where you are falling behind, where you need help, and then seek that help, you know, on your, of your own initiative.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I, I totally agree, Dave. And unfortunately, you know, students entering college are not necessarily ready to do. They have to reflect on their own understanding. And maybe that's one of the greatest values of college is just to learn how you as an individual learns so that you can ask questions of of somebody who's more expert in a particular field, but you have to be able to say, I understand this and I don't understand that. And a lot of times students will just say, well, I I don't, I don't know what to ask. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well then we're back to the situation of the patient with the doctor saying, I don't feel good, but can't be any more precise than that. Uh, You know, you you do the best you can, you go backwards, but you're also correct. And, you know, in high school, they're probably more, assessments along the way, quizzes and stuff. I'm going to give my first quiz here this um, this week, and we're two weeks into it. That's fairly early, but sometimes in college, you don't have a test for several weeks, and then a final exam, and in graduate school, you may have a midterm and a final exam, and your entire grade's based on that, so you go for eight, nine weeks with no feedback, direct feedback from the professor, and suddenly you get a very difficult exam, and that and your final exam is what your grade is going to be based on. Unlike yeah. high school, which has many, many more usually assessments, homework along the way, quizzes, tests, so forth.
0: Yep, very different ball game. Yeah. Well, let's let's shift gears just slightly. Uh, we talked about um, you know s- students who may be struggling with math. Um, let's talk about the importance of math, and in particular. Um, in careers or college majors, what are some of the majors where math um, is very important? And then we could maybe look at the opposite where math is, is not emphasized as much.
1: Well, sure. Yeah. Obviously, the discipline where it's the most important is in engineering or, or math. If somebody's going to be a math major, obviously, sure. you're going to have to take a lot of math. But engineers typically have to take uh, the complement of three semesters of calculus differential equations, depending on the engineering, maybe linear algebra, maybe another course or two that's more specific to their discipline, you know, whether it's electrical or mechanical engineering. I'm not an engineer, so I don't know precisely, but I know in general what they're required to have. Um, So certainly the STEM field, STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, mathematics, any of those fields is going to require quite a bit of math. Now, when you get Done with that, you have disciplines that may require some statistics like the social sciences, so psychology, sociology. Um, lots, of, lots of careers now want you to have some basic understanding of statistics because it's used so, so much nowadays. So even people that aren't STEM majors, say psych majors or something like that, are gonna have to take some statistics at some point Or even if they can get an undergraduate degree in, say, psychology without taking any statistics, if they're going to get a graduate degree in psychology, they're going to have to take a statistics course. Almost any graduate course, even in the social sciences, is going to require at minimum some statistics course. Now, a lot of times the individual departments, psychology, sociology, what have you, teach their own statistics Mm -hmm. because they don't like the way the math department does it or they want to you know, hit certain things or use certain software. Um, and, and that that's fine, but those will. Now other cl- things, you know, like English and history probably don't require any math other than what is sort of artificially required. So for example, I'm teaching pre-calculus now. There are two two semesters of it. And we have a lot of students who are never gonna take calculus. They're, they're in fields like nursing or architecture. And their fields tell them they have to take pre-calculus. I tell them, I don't think you should be in pre-calculus unless you're going to take calculus. The major mm-hmm. math organizations in the United States don't recommend people take pre-calculus unless they're going to take calculus. It'd be like taking pre-med but having no desire to go to medical school. What's right. Yeah. But they have to do that. So I tell them, well, I teach the courses, but the math department doesn't decide what you need in your major of English or history or sociology or you know women's studies or whatever they might be we don't decide that but once they decide that you have to you the student has to take a certain amount of math then yeah we in the math department teach it. so that's that's a problem too because you have students in there what am i ever going to use this well you're probably not unless mm-hmm. you're going into a stem field you know um uh, on the other hand, you could probably argue that everybody graduating from college ought to have maybe a rudimentary understanding of, of algebra and algebraic thinking, uh, just because that kind of thinking comes up in, in life at different times, and, and it would be good to have some basic understanding. Obviously, the more you know about anything, the, the better prepared you are. The question is, how do you spend those four years? What do you learn
0: Sure, sure.
1: to be an educated person?
0: What about um, business majors and, and you know, bus- majors related to business like marketing or finance? Um, what's, what's the math requirement for those?
1: Yeah, I'm not for sure what it is for those, although there is typically at many colleges something called business calculus that mm-hmm. is a little bit of a watered down version of calculus um, for those majors. So that it's not as rigorous. The problems aren't as difficult the concepts visited aren't as difficult. You don't go into the, the rigor of calculus as much in a, in a business course. So again, I don't know why someone would be required in a business course to take calculus, but the, you know, the faculty decide it's something they should know. And so they want them to have at least some version of calculus before they graduate. And maybe that's not a bad idea.
0: Yeah. Yep, good to know. All right. Well, let's shift gears one more time here. Um, this is really unrelated to your um, professional career, but I think it's an interesting personal story that relates to my focus, which is on um, paying for college. And sure. when when we first spoke, you mentioned that you advised your stepdaughter to not go into student loan debt. Can uh-huh. you tell us why you advised that and how that went?
1: Right. I did. And she graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno in three and a half years without any debt. Now, you know, her mother and I helped her quite a bit financially and she worked and so forth. So she was able to pull that off. And it was a state school. She got a discount because I'm a professor in the state of Nevada. So she got a, a considerable discount, I think about two thirds off for the ju- tuition. But the reason I recommended that, Dave, is just probably the same things that you hear. Students graduate from a four-year college and they don't get a job. And if they graduate and they got this 30000 dollars 40000 dollars dollars debt hanging over their shoulders, then that's, you know, I think this, the clock starts ticking. They expect people to start making payments. Or sometimes students get a job after college that's, you know, not going to pay that well until they get some more experience under their belt. And suddenly they realize, oh my gosh, I've got this $50,000 loan to pay off. I just think that if you can avoid that, that's the best thing. Now, obviously, if you go to certain schools that are very, very expensive, even the financial aid probably won't cover and everything and eliminate the students' need to take out some loans. But in general, I just think you want to avoid that, particularly at that young age of having. Now on the other hand, if you go to law school or medical school, they're even more expensive and people are probably gonna have to go into debt. But at least with medicine and and probably to a lesser degree law, I'm not sure what the salaries are, but you know, you're gonna make the money back when you get out and practice. But with a four year degree, unless you're in engineering or computer science, you're not necessarily going to make the money back very quickly. So you need to be very much aware of how much you're spending for that four-year degree, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, but life is is tough enough if you're starting at zero. Uh, it's yeah. that much worse if you're starting negative.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, because typically people get done with college and what do they want to do? They want to be out on their own. They, mm-hmm. Maybe they want to get married. Maybe they want to buy a house. Maybe they just want to buy a car for the first time. Well, those are all expensive things to consider. And if you got this debt of several tens of thousands hanging over your head, it's no good. And college is just, it's just skyrocketed in price. You're you're going to be more aware of that because of what you do than I am. But it's just, it's gone up so tremendously in the last 20, 30, 40 years.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, my story is that You know, when my son hit high school, I realized that college was on the horizon. And of course, I had heard the stories that the cost of college had gone up, but I thought it was a little bit like, you know, people prior to our recent inflation would complain about things like gas prices going up. And, you know, when I was a kid, it was under a buck, but it was close. And when I was in my 30s, it was still around a buck. And I thought, why are you people complaining? It's probably the same with college. No, it was not. (laughs) Not at all.
1: I mean, if you would pay the full freight, and you can tell me, check me on this, Dave, you can spend a quarter of a million dollars on a four-year degree.
0: You could at at the right school or the wrong school, depending on how you want to say it.
1: Exactly. And that's just a lot of money to get a four-year degree. It is. It
0: is. I mean, I I don't know what the average American salary is, but you're probably going to be, if you didn't spend a dime that you made for the next five to 10 years, you probably are still not going to be out of that hole for that kind of- at. Exactly. Well, let's talk about calculus sucks.com. Um, t- this is your business. Um, obviously you're, you're, a professor, but you have started, uh, this business as well. Um, what is calculus sucks and who's it for? And, and what do you do with that?
1: Yeah, I, I started this a couple of years ago. It's basically a tutoring website. Um, I think that a lot of people like me struggled with calculus or do struggle with calculus. And I wanted to provide a place where people could come and, and get some advice, even if they don't choose me as a tutor and, you know, talk about some of the things that we've already talked about today. So I thought about the reasons, which I listed there, the six reasons. And I, you know, have a have a, a toll-free number on there that people can call. Well, toll-free doesn't matter anymore nowadays. I, guess, <laughs> yep. but, um, I really wanted to reach out and help people because I think, it's not taught particularly well and for students that want to learn i thought i could do a good job by doing that so i offer you know one on one tutoring but that's too expensive for most students unless their parents are well off and so what i'm trying now dave is i'm trying group tutoring and i charge people only 8 bucks an hour per person wow. if i can get you know enough people say 6 or 6 to 10 at least at that that'll make it worthwhile for me The challenge in that, though, is I have to get six to eight people or whatever the group is that are pretty much at the same place, because if some are completely lost and not ready for calculus, well, yeah, I can address them. But others that are ready for calculus, they will be interested in other topics. So this is the problem you run run into, too, when you're a professor or teacher in any level in a math class you have students from a to z some students are struggling with the most elementary things and some students are more advanced what do you do shoot at the middle the struggling students are lost the more advanced students are bored Mm -hmm. that's not a good situation for any of them so i'm hoping to be able to find people that can benefit from small group instruction and and therefore it's a lot more affordable than one-on-one and um you know, it could still be very beneficial I think if if everybody's in kind of the same place
0: sure I mean that at that rate that is incredibly affordable um so what is the best way then for people to get in touch with you to to find out a little bit more about working with you and um, the services you could provide?
1: Sure well, they are two ways they can email me at Peter at sucks dot com so. Calculus sucks is one word. Peter at calculussucks.com, and then I also have a phone number they can call. And uh, I don't have it on all the time. Sometimes it rings through on my phone. It's a, basically a Google number, but it's 702-625-8900. They can call and leave a message. And if any parent out there, you know, like you, has a child who's getting ready, I guess yours is in college now. They can call me. I don't charge for consultations. I'll talk to anybody for 15, 20 minutes if they have some questions, even if they're not going to use my tutoring services. I try to be of help to people that way. So they can call or email me.
0: That's fantastic. And that does bring up a a question I I meant to ask, but we didn't. And that is, um, what age range are your services for? Or is it more just based on they need to learn calculus and doesn't matter if they're 14 or 24
1: I would say the latter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if they're fourteen or twenty-four. If they're individuals, I like working with high school and college students. So I would say i have specialized in that. Okay. Uh, people that need tutoring at lower levels can find somebody. You know, they can go to places that are. I mean, they have these franchises now. What is it? Uh, one of them is math. Math gymnasium. How's it? Oh, uh,
0: mathnasium. Mathnasium. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And they they hire students that they pay just you know, minimum wage or six or eight bucks an hour. And they tutor students because the level of math is so low. So I don't really focus on, you know, junior high or even high school math or below that much. But certainly anybody that's going to take calculus or wants to take calculus or has tried taking calculus and done poorly, I'm, I'm open and I think I can help them
0: well, that's fantastic. Well, again, the website is calculussucks.com. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really informative. We covered way more uh, topics than thank I expected you. tonight. So thank I you so much.
1: It. Well, thank you for having me on Dave. I hope it's been useful and I encourage you and your business endeavors too, right?
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that.